So, we have been in the book of Acts um, for uh, what seems like a long time now, but it's, it's been good. Uh, we've been looking at the way the Holy Spirit moved in the life of the early church, uh, beginning with Jesus' ascension into heaven through the day of Pentecost into the early trials of the disciples, through the martyrdom of Stephen uh, into the ministry of Philip as he was rushed out of Jerusalem. And today we get to the conversion of Saul. Uh, And to talk about the conversion of Saul, we really have to go back uh, to chapter 7 when Stephen is stoned. Um, We'll pick up at verse 54. uh, And here we read that the members of the Sanhedrin uh, heard Stephen talk and they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And at this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing him. So we need to kind of wrap our heads around this picture. Um, Saul is a Pharisee, and he's not just any Pharisee, he is a Pharisee among Pharisees. He is the Pharisee that other Pharisees want to grow up and be like. Um, I mean, he's, you know, he's looking sharp in his three-piece suit, and, you know, his hair slicked over, and, you know, he won all the Bible quiz bowls as a kid growing up. You know, his Awana sash was just covered in medals and ribbons and patches and I mean, he was, he was the stud of the youth group, right? Like, this was the guy who, growing up, when, uh, when they played uh, Bible, Bible baseball in Sunday school class, they would play Saul versus the rest of the class, and he'd wipe them clean. This was a guy who took his religious relationship very seriously. And he grew up uh, to be a a zealot for uh, Judaism there in Jerusalem. So much so that when uh, some Jews began worshiping Jesus as the Messiah, following what at that point uh, was called the way of Jesus, uh, they weren't even called Christians yet, they were followers of the way of Jesus, Saul was full of indignation and said, we must stop this, and spearheaded a charge to, uh, to, to find and to, to prosecute and ultimately to kill those who were following the way of Jesus, because they were moving away from Judaism as he knew it and studied it and uh, was the stud of it. And this is where we find ourselves uh, today in Acts chapter 9. Um, it is 
Saul's persecution of the church in Jerusalem uh, that sent Philip to Samaria, where he preached and, uh, and then eventually came across uh, the eunuch of Ethiopia. But this gets us to Acts chapter 9 where while Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. Um, so this is, uh, these are like search warrants, right? So he went to the high priest and said, uh, I need a, a paper that gives me authority to go and arrest um, Jews who are following Jesus in Syria. Uh, so as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell on the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now this is a, a, a good telling of the story. But I think, personally, I prefer the, Paul's own words uh, in Acts chapter 22. So in Acts chapter 22... Um, actually, this happens a couple times later in the book of Acts. Uh, but Paul gets arrested after his conversion, which we've put the cart ahead of the horse because we all kind of know that Saul becomes Paul, so this is okay. In Acts uh, chapter 22, we see that, that Paul is, um, he is sort of on trial. And he says in verse 3, I am a Jew born in Tarsus, and I was brought up in the city. I studied under uh, Gamaliel and th thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was as zealous for God as any of you are today. So I persecuted the followers of the way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. And as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify, I even obtained letters from their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. And about noon as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions, they saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. And what shall I do, Lord, I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you'll be told all that you've been assigned to do. This is a pretty radical moment in the life uh, of Saul, who we would later know as Paul the Apostle. Because here he is, he is on his way to be the hammer to squash the, the Jesus movement from growing in Syria. And on the way, he is ambushed by grace. a blinding light, and a voice from heaven saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And for three days now, uh, Saul is going to go into Damascus. He's going to be blind, and he's, not, uh, he's going to have to sit with himself and figure out what just happened and how to respond. 
And lucky for him, God is moving even in the midst of that. Going back to chapter 8 and verse 10, uh, Luke writes that in Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias! Yes, Lord, he answered. And the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. And Ananias responds, Lord, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all of us who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to their kings and to the people of Israel. I mean, Ananias knows what's at stake here. Ananias recognizes that uh, this Saul of Tarsus guy is not someone to be messed with. That he has been directly responsible for the death of many who are following in the way of Jesus. And he doesn't want to go. this, This story invites us to look back at the story of Jonah. Where God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach repentance, and Jonah says, I don't want to. Those are not my people. I'd be perfectly happy with them being blind and dead. But God says, no, Ananias, go. Go. He is chosen. He is going to be uh, my instrument to the Gentiles. And then he says something that's really interesting. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. That's a really interesting way of, of, of saying, um, of, of describing being filled with the Holy Spirit, of describing Paul's baptism in the Holy Spirit that I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Because this is one of the things that I'm, um, I've been discovering over the two months of being, you know, waist deep in the book of Acts. That you can't read the book of Acts without becoming a little bit dissatisfied. Like, you can't read these stories of God showing up and doing these marvels without part of you saying, well, why, why hasn't this been my experience of Christianity too? Uh, why, why am I not seeing the Holy Spirit poured out on all flesh like they did there in the first century? And beyond that, we can go beyond just the biblical witness to look at the stories of some of the great awakenings in human history. And you read them, and it is impossible not to be filled with this sense of discontent for what is. 
Uh, just this past week, I was reading about uh, the Hebridean Awakening. Is anyone familiar with the Hebridean Awakening? Very few of you. Good. This is going to blow your minds. Um, so, so first things first. Uh, anyone who is over 80 years old, uh, stand up. Yes. You guys are one of our greatest resources, and it's not even funny. So the, the, the Hebridean revival, it was an incredible movement of the Holy Spirit in Scotland uh, you know, more than 100 years ago. Like so much so that there are stories from the Hebridean revival that, that while there was uh, revival services happening in the church, there is a story of a group of guys who were drinking at the bar, who finished their last pint, all kind of looked at each other, paid, and all of them walked to the church like mosquitoes into a bug zapper. Like, no one told them revival was happening, but the, the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit was so thick in that church that it spread half a mile away, and they put down their, their, their glasses, and they went magnetically. And this revival was started by a pair of sisters, one of which was blind and one of which whose legs didn't work. They're 84 and 86 years old. And one day, they were reading the Bible together, and they were full of discontent for the Christianity that they had experienced. They said, we, there are no young people left in our church. They're all gone. We're all, you know, old. The young people are going to the bar. They aren't taking uh, their spiritual lives seriously, and they're sick, and it's, it's, it's a problem which we know nothing about that, right? They said the only thing we can do about this is we can pray that the Holy Spirit shows up. So they did. They put down their Bible. They started praying that God would move in their community so that these young people who are sick and who are alcoholic and who are hopeless might experience the hope and the peace of Christ. And the next day, their pastor come, came in to, to visit them, and they said, hey, pastor, you know, God wants to do something here. And he said, what? <laughs> so they started a prayer meeting that met at these, uh, these old ladies' houses, uh, and then they started a second one um, at, at, at another uh, older couple's house on the other side of town. And they prayed that God would move and would bring healing to their community. And it happened. You know, it's, it's interesting to me how the, the language of the culture and the language of the church, they are close, but they're not the same. And the differences are important. 
right? Because if, if you're an octogenarian, if you're someone over 80 years old, in our culture, uh, we say that you're elderly, but in the church, we say you're an elder. And there's a difference. The elderly are expected to retire and sit on a front porch and not do anything and just wait for the end. But in the church, we need you. Your ministry is one of the most powerful ministries that we can tap into to experience revival in our community. So, uh, back to Paul, this idea of, of God will show him the suffering. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit... It doesn't feel good because we become acutely aware of the pain and the hopelessness of our community. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we become convicted of our deep need and our calling to pray that God would bring healing and peace to a community that is sick and at war. We live in a culture that is enslaved to death. Every single day in this country, there are 123 people who commit suicide. There are 191 people who die of a drug overdose. Wrap your head around that. More than 300 people die every single day of hopelessness. Our culture is enslaved to death. And I feel it acutely as a uh, youngish white dude because youngish white dudes are being radicalized to death in ways that we haven't seen before. And the question becomes, do our hearts break for the hopelessness and death of our culture? Can we uh, repent for the times that we've held it at, at arm's length and said, you know, uh, I know that people are dying of drug overdoses, but they're not my people, so I'm not going to worry about it. Yeah, I, I know that there are people who are killing themselves every day, but, but they're not my people, so I'm not going to worry about it. We live in a world that is sick, and the only healing can come in the power of the Holy Spirit. Picking up in verse 17, then Ananias went to the house and entered it. This is uh, the house of Judas on Straight Street. 
he placed his hands on Saul and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. And then Paul would go on to be the, the preeminent missionary of the first century. Going throughout the Roman world to people who weren't even Jewish and sharing with them the good news of Jesus. When Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit, the, the part of him that was zealous for keeping Judaism pure was replaced with a zealotry for sharing the good news of Jesus to unreached people groups. When we are filled with the Spirit, we too will find our zealotry shift. We too will find our hearts breaking for those who are lost and who are hopeless and who are slaves to death. So it comes back to the question of John 14. John 14, Jesus says, if you want the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will come. Knowing what we know, do we want it? Are we willing to endure, like, you know, Jesus is really clear. Count the costs. Don't get into something that, that, that you don't want to. The cost of being filled with the Holy Spirit is that our hearts will break for people who we don't like. Who we think are other, who we think aren't like us, who we think don't deserve the goodness of the kingdom. If we count the cost and we still choose for the Holy Spirit to fill us, I mean, like, can you imagine what this church would look like? if we had our own Hebridean moment, that we were so full of the Spirit of God that those who are hopeless, those who are sick, those who are outside would find themselves drawn like a mosquito to a bug zapper.
I mean, can you see, you know, a hundred families who think they're going to Murfin Field to play soccer just being like, I don't want to be here anymore. Where am I going? What's this place? I, I, can we even conceive of God doing something like that here? Let's pray. O oh Lord, help us to count the cost. As we ask for your Holy Spirit to fill us more and more, give us the courage to respond to the way you convict. For Lord, we repent. of our small visions for what you can do in our world. We repent for thinking that, that the business you're in is um, little more than uh, helping people take baby steps. Because Lord, you have brought true revival and true awakening, and we believe you can do it again. So Lord, may we with one heart and one intention and one trust ask to be filled with your Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to sow the seeds of repentance. Help us to sow the seeds of the awakening that you want to bring to our community. And Lord, we yield to you. Lord, may we know deep in our inner selves that you love us, that you have adopted us, that we are yours. And that our best life the one that will be the most fulfilling, the one that honors you, is the life where we live in obedience. Even when that takes us places we don't want to go to see people we don't want to see.
Lord, give us a passion for prayer. We know that you have We know that you have exceeded the expectations of the church before, and we trust that you will do it again. Lord, we've been praying one-inch prayers, and you have been responding with 12-inch answers. And Lord, give us the courage to pray bigger prayers, trusting that you truly are the God who responds and surprises us. Lord, fill us as we leave this place. And we will praise the name of your Son, Jesus, who lives and reigns in heaven with you and the Holy Spirit forever. Amen.